It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I come here today with a message. As president, I have a responsibility to act with urgency and resolve when our nation faces clear and present danger. And that's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. Climate change is literally an existential threat to our nation and to the world. So my message today is this. Since Congress is not acting as it should, and these guys here are, but we're not getting many Republican votes, this is an emergency, an emergency, and I will, I will look at it that way. I said last week, and I'll say it again loud and clear. As president, I'll use my executive powers to combat climate, the climate crisis in the absence of congressional actions, notwithstanding their incredible action. In the coming days, my administration will announce the executive actions we have developed to combat this emergency. We need to act. Just take a look around. Right now, 100 million Americans are under heat alert. 100 million Americans. 90 communities across America set records for high temperatures just this year, including here in New England as we speak. And while so many governors and mayors have been strong partners in this fight to tackle climate change, we need all governors and mayors. We need public utility commissioners and state agency heads. We need electric utilities and developers to stand up and be part of the solution. Don't be a roadblock. You all have a duty right now to our economy, to our competitiveness in the world, to the young people in this nation, and to future generations. That sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. It's real. To act boldly on climate. And so does Congress. If you say it enough, I guess, you know, eventually you might believe it. I'm reading one of the other phrases that he said in this speech. This is an emergency, and I will look at it that way. If you have an emergency, if you're like you see a mass shooter and you comment to someone standing next to you saying, this is an emergency, and I will look at it this way while you're, you know, the person shooting people. If an emergency is an emergency, you don't chat like that. You don't say, gee, let me think about how I'm going to uh, respond to this and how I'm going to assess it. I will look at it like it's an emergency. That's pretty passive. Uh, he, but he says it's a clear and present danger. It's an ex existential threat. And when he talks about the hot, the hot temperatures everywhere, and he's getting, he wants governors and people everywhere to join on to fight this. I'm, it reminds me of one of those horror movies of the like the '60s and '70s. Some of you are too old, are too young to remember this, but there's always like some monster, like some looming monster in the city, and humans are coming after them with fire trucks and hoses or and policemen are shooting at them with guns and it has no effect on this big monster and really that's even too small an analogy because there is nothing that man can do to affect climate 
That is the height of human hubris. Uh, but, you know, President Biden's going to fight it. And I'm sure that we all have confidence that he's going to bring the temperature down. He must because he's causing our utility bills to go up as we try to cool and heat our homes. So uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. We have uh, Senator Ron Johnson joining us in a few minutes, and we're going to talk to him about uh, what what's going to happen if President Biden declares a climate emergency uh, and and takes on special powers. And we want to discuss that with him, among other things. Uh, but I also want to talk to you about something uh, Laura Ingram did a really great show last night, uh, at least portion of it, on what's happening with the military. And that's something that's really close to my heart, always has been. Uh, let me just say that one thing that we are learning is that recruitment is down so much. They had a goal of 60,000. They have only recruited 30,000. And that when they had already lowered their recruitment goal by 5,000. So they are desperate. Now, I'm borrowing from Laura last night with her guests and clips, so I want you to give her credit and her producers for this. But it's so good, I wanted to repeat it. And so uh, last night, she had the uh, the general of, uh, let's see, this was, sorry, this is General Joseph Martin. He's the vice chief of staff talking about the recruitment challenges. This is how he described them, clip five. Recruiting motivated, fit, and academically proficient men and women continues to be a challenge. Only 23% of military-aged men and women in the United States are qualified to serve. We've got unprecedented challenges with both a post-COVID-19 environment and labor market, but also competition, private competition with private companies that have changed their incentives over time. Yeah, so there's lots of reasons. He's going to list them. You know, it's a, a good economy. People want to do other things. People are not fit. And then, of course, there are other thoughts. Uh, CNN uh, is predicting that the recruitment may get worse. Let's hear what they have to say. Clip six. This may get even worse because the U.S. Net, Army National Guard and Army Reserve are facing the prospect that some 60,000 of their force may not be willing to get the COVID vaccine. And if they don't get the COVID vaccine, they will not be able to be part of the active force. They will not be able to be activated and go on missions. Yes, and I just told you yesterday that a huge percentage of the military is going to be dropped, uh, exited, made to leave because they're refusing to get the COVID shot. We were told it was just a few people, right? In all of these industries, whether it was, you know, air, airline pilots or uh, workers in other industries, uh, medical, that, you know, everybody's going on. We only have, we have like 96% compliance, they would say. But that was a lie. Uh, now that the reason that airports are in such a bind is because uh, airline workers, including especially pilots, said no to the shot because they knew what the detrimental effects would be. And so that's why we have such chaos and so many shortages and uh, things are not working well in the airwaves right now. But back to the military. So they want to purge, they're getting ready to purge, a huge percentage of our military because they're not vaccinated. But let's go back. We're having a recruitment crisis uh, and so Jackie Spear um, gives us an idea. Congresswoman Jackie Spear gives us another insight as to why that might be. Clip nine. We can and must do better to ensure that we continue to provide this world-class training to our female military leaders around the world. This amendment would simply require a gender analysis assessment of the program by signaling the importance of including more gender diversity in the program. This is not just important, it's smart. Okay, so gender diversity, and really, honestly, if you've seen the recruitment videos lately for the Army, it's just 
unbelievable. In fact, we'll give you just a little taste of that. That uh, the, the, This is just a few seconds of it. They're using a cartoon now to recruit people to come into the Army. This is clip 11, just 30 seconds. Let's listen. This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. Yeah, so that's just the first part of it. And it just it's just unbelievable how it's repulsive. I mean, I just have to say it's repulsive. I want you to contrast that. This is something that Laura played last night. I remember this so well. This was the recruitment. The Army and the, the Armed Forces have always uh, recruited. They did that during World War II. They use, you know, they send men out to colleges and universities to assign uh, people up. They have slogans. Uh, Uncle Sam Wants You was one of the earliest. Uh, but in no- the 1980s, I just want you to hear just a little... T- if anybody seen Top Gun lately with uh, with Tom Cruise, you know, Tom, that was made in the 80s, and that movie itself um, is, you know, pretty... The old one is pretty thin grail on uh, content, and it's, uh, you know, sexually not appropriate. But it did give you the idea of the spirit that was in the military and the pride at that time. And the new movie certainly gives you that as it goes back in time. But uh, Clip 10 shows a recruiting video during the 80s, 80s when top, the Top Gun movie was made, um, and gives you an idea of the contrast. Let's listen to it, Clip 10. Inside you Things you've never known It's been tough Rough going But you haven't gone alone We do more before 9 a.m. Than most people do all day Hey, First Sergeant Good morning Find your future in the army You know, America's military is like no other I've learned a lot from my friendship with Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who points out that American soldiers and airmen have been warriors, warriors. Uh, They have not gone in to uh, conquer, uh, to take booty, and to, uh, you know, destroy lands just for the sake of destroying. They've gone in for causes. America's military has been like no other. I can't think of another military uh, in the entire world, whether it was, you know, Alexander the Great or whether it was, you know, Napoleon, they didn't operate that way. They were brutal. They conquered. They killed. Uh, that was part of their their ba- badge of honor was to take as much, uh, you know, booty as they could, you know, to, to take the resources of the places where they were fighting and re- enrich themselves. Our soldiers never did that. That was not the, that was not the, not the uh, MO of the American military. And now they are completely cutting it off at, at its knees. And no wonder young men and women do not want to join. Uh, who wants to be forced, for instance, to take a vaccine uh, when we know the dangers of it? And now the military has records to show how harmful, how actually harmful it has been. You know, the increase in miscarriages, the increases in incredible increases, myocarditis uh, uh, in, in all kinds of functions. And so, and yet... The military is forced to do this. They're forced to take it while they're forced to serve next to men who wear dresses. I saw a picture last week of Camp Pendleton. That's the training base for the Marines in uh, 
in California, and I saw uh, this guy in the cafeteria. Someone had just taken a shot of it. He's um, he's a guy, uh, but he's got a skirt on and like fishnet stockings and uh, heels. He's walking through with his uh, his tray to get his meal. That was at the Marine base in California. Um, it's just a, it's this is this is what's happening, and so it's re- being reflected in the cr- recruitment numbers. Senator Tom Cotton, who of course left his, uh, I think he left law school, as I recall, when the Twin Towers were bombed and went away and joined the American military to fight after that attack on our soil. And uh, now he's a senator from Arkansas, and so he had a few words about this, what's happening to our military last night. This is clip 12. Let's listen. In addition to the oversight hearings that we always have, that we can push our senior military leaders on these questions, there is, as you point out, the annual defense bill. I voted against that this year in committee, just like I voted against it last year in committee, because it had so much of this left-wing social engineering. I'm not just going to vote for something because they slapped defense on it, and I don't think a lot of our troops want us to either. Now, in the end, we were able to strip out almost all of those provisions, and I was able to support it in the end. I hope to do that again this year, but I'm not going to vote for a bill that, for instance, requires women to enter the draft, something that is massively unpopular with the American people, to include women in America. Uh, Again, our military, it's not a jobs program. It's not designed to engage in social engineering. It's designed to fight and win our nation's wars. And as you outlined at the beginning, we face a recruiting crisis as bad as it's been since Vietnam. That's not because there's a strong economy. We had strong economies before. It's because so many kids who might join the Army or the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Air Force, see some of these controversies. They hear about it from people on active duty, and they decide that maybe they don't want to do it right now. I mean. Kids who are thinking about joining our military, they want to learn how to kill bad guys. They don't want to learn how to use the right pronouns. Well said, Senator Cotton. Uh, thank God for his championship uh, for soldiers in the military. And that he's not the only one, but he's one of the few voices. You know, I've been exasperated uh, not to be able to get people like Mar- Marsha Blackburn and others uh, who are senators who, you know, should be fighting. Uh, for our soldiers who should be fighting uh, against these COVID uh, requirements and all of the things that are happening there, uh, just silence on their part. And they continue to fund the military over and over again with these incredible uh, bills. They're discussing one right now in the Senate, as a matter of fact, but they tack onto that all of this trash that you just heard me talk about. It's a dangerous time. Uh, Well, next up is one of my favorite senators, Senator Ron Johnson, who joins us next. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Dion Toombs, Acting Director for the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. Her office oversees agricultural research, education, and extension programs across the country. Psalm 85:12 reminds us of God's blessings of food from the land. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Dion Toombs as she works on behalf of our nation's food supply. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. There's been a lot of talk about electric cars these days. The Biden administration intentionally keeping gas prices high so American motorists will make the switch. The problem is most of us can't afford a $55,000 car that you have to plug into an outlet. But the Swinsky family of St. Petersburg, Florida discovered another problem, and it's a big one. They were able to find a used Ford Focus electric and got a pretty good deal, $11,000. Six months later, the car broke down. The Ford dealership said the battery was dead and had to be replaced. But here's the kicker. The battery cost $14,000, $3,000 more than the price of the car. Instead, they sold the car back to the dealership for $500. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I always tell the electric car crowd to politely blow it out their tailpipe. I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Democrats say they can codify the right to an abortion into federal law, but they need the Senate seat held by Ron Johnson to do that. Democrats across the country say Roe v. Wade is on the ballot this November. Two senators who are willing to protect access to abortion and get rid of the filibuster so that we can pass it. And yes, John Fetterman, I'm looking at you in Pennsylvania. Mandela Barnes, I'm looking at you in Wisconsin. While Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren has endorsed Barnes, he is locked in a primary fight with other candidates. Women need to be making their own health care decisions not politicians. Sarah Godlewski held a news conference in Madison today to advocate for women's reproductive rights and said the stakes are high come November. A national abortion ban is on potentially the books if the Republicans Republicans take over the Senate. An NPR poll released today shows a majority of Americans oppose Friday's Supreme Court decision. We need someone who's going to be accountable to the people of Wisconsin. Alex Lazary says it will take a coordinated effort to win back abortion rights for all Americans. My wife and all of her colleagues at Planned Parenthood have, are doing their part. We now have to do ours and vote Ron Johnson out and codify Roe v. Wade. 
We did reach out to the media offices of both Tom Nelson and Mandela Barnes. We were not able to conduct an interview with either before deadline today. Senator Ron Johnson's office sent us a statement supporting the Supreme Court's decision. He called it a victory for life and for those who have fought to protect the unborn. Johnson also says he supports the idea that the democratic process can unfold in each state. Live in the newsroom, Bill Walsh, CBS 58 News. Well, that's a controversial statement, don't you think? Well, all right. So Senator Ron Johnson, according to Bloomberg, is one of the two Senate seats that Republicans hold that could be lost. Uh, there is a battle in Wisconsin that's uh, fleshing out. According to a poll of 803 registered Wisconsin voters, a Marquette poll conducted in June, uh, Pres uh, Senator Johnson is in a dead heat with any of the four leading Democratic opponents. Wisconsin's such an interesting state because it has such conservative, wonderful people uh, and then the center, University of Madison, Wisconsin, and other little tributaries are so incredibly uh, liberal. In fact, uh, the home of the birth of communism in this country. So that kind of gives you a very quick overview of why the battle rages so often in that state. Well, joining us this morning is Senator Ron Johnson um, in the middle of this campaign and all the while trying to sit in the Senate and fight those battles. So I appreciate it every time he joins us. Good morning, Senator Johnson. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning, Sandy. And you're right, we're politically a pretty divided state, but as Charles Crowdhammer once said, he said, you always hear Minnesota nice. He said, I say Wisconsin even nicer. And that's pretty true. We're, we're pretty nice folks in Wisconsin. And we, we do engage in, uh, in, I think, pretty reasonable political debate. I think so, too. I, I'm always, actually, to be honest with you, I'm always very impressed with the things that Wisconsin accomplishes. I mean, some of it's terrible, yes, uh, but there's always like reasoned debate. And there's, I also, okay, I don't know if you recall this, but I'm from Chicago. I was on the radio when you were elected in Chicago and remember this, in 2010, I think that was, right? Right. Yeah, so um, so very close to, very close and intertwined with uh, Wisconsin politics and know lots, of course, have lots of friends in Wisconsin, and uh, articulate, well-educated, very thoughtful. You have a really pretty stunning voter base, I think, uh, in Wisconsin. And so the battle rages between different points of view on these things. I want—I just want to talk to you about something personal for a second. But Bloomberg did a—I'm reading all kinds of stuff about you. I'm reading about how—I know that you're a businessman, but they say you're one of the wealthiest in the Senate. And I only mention that because in some circles that would be a, a blight against you, you know? And, and being wealthy for the wrong reasons is a blight against you. But I guess I think about that, and I think about how that speaks to your ability to understand economics, uh, to serve in the Senate uh, in, in a very um, in an intelligent way. So few people understand economics. But also, you don't need this. You don't need this hassle. And so I just want to ask you, well, why? Why did you throw your hat in the ring, and why are you still there? And why would you want to stay? Well, just quick about my background. I come from incredibly humble beginnings. Uh, I got my first job at the age of 15. I lied about my age so I could start work, you know, saving up for college. I uh, worked at Walgreens Grills, a dishwasher. I became night manager before I reached the age of uh, 16. Um, worked all my way through college, full-time through college. Uh, when I started my business, my, my business partner, I, we, we traded 12-hour shifts. You know, we ran the equipment. You know, I... I, I Ran the tow motors. I, you know, done everything in the business. I've worked shift work, um, so you know, I I took advantage of the American dream, and you know, 
I revered his results. Uh, there's so much opportunity out here if Americans have the freedom to dream and aspire and build and create. And that's, that's what I've done. I took advantage of it. It's, it's, it's always amazing. You know, my, my, the former senior Senator Herb Cole was, I think way wealthier than I was. It never came up. You know, I, I don't apologize for my success. Um, I, I live a, leave a, or live a pretty humble life. I, I don't, I'm not a big spender in any way, shape or form. I have, I, I enjoy the simple pleasures of life, like fishing and, you know, hiking and, you know, guitar playing, that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, but to get, answer your question, a big problem in Washington, D.C. is there's so very few, whether it's bureaucrats or staff members or members of Congress that have any experience in, and as a result, very little knowledge of, and maybe even worse, <clears throat> sympathy for the private sector. They're smart people, but they're governing, they're, they're creating rules and regulations and laws to govern the behavior of, of people participating in activities that they don't understand. You know, part of the problem here is they've never been involved in a functioning organization. You know, Congress is not a functioning organization. It's not like a business or an organization where you have a, you know, a vision statement, a mission statement. You set annual goals. Everybody in the organization knows what, you know, what they're trying to achieve as an organization, what their role is. And what drives me nuts and the reason I was going to hang it up after two terms it just drives you the, the dysfunction here is it's just profound. I, I don't know how else to explain it. So you come, come from the private sector and this place just, it's, it is, it's an alternate universe and the bubble is really thick here. So well, I know. one of the reasons I decided, to, one of the reasons I decided to run is, yeah, I think our nation's in peril. We're at a hinge point, but, but I realized there just aren't many people like me that have, my perspective that, you know, for example, uh, because because of me, 95 cent Americans got a businesses got a tax cut. They wouldn't have otherwise. Under Republicans, all we were going to do is cut the taxes for the 5 percent Americans that are C-Corps from, you know, get down to 20 percent. I'm the one that had to raise my hand and say, hey, colleagues, you realize you're leaving 95 percent of American businesses, the pass through the subchapter S, the Subchapter S is the LLCs, the uh, partnerships, you know, the mom and pop shops on Main Street, you're leaving them behind. You're going to make them uncompetitive with the big guys. You put them out of business or they'll convert to see. I'm the guy that had to raise my hand and do that. Without me, uh, 20 million tax filers wouldn't be able to take advantage of the tax cuts, about a 19% tax cut. Uh, but that was because of my perspective, because I actually did participate in the private sector as kind of a small to medium sized business. Well, that reminds me, Dave Brad is a good friend of mine. You know, he served in Congress, and he was um, an economics professor when he got elected. Uh, and we used to have these chats all the time about how few people serving in Congress understood economics, just simple economics 101. And so uh, what you're saying is true, but I, the larger point I want to make, and I think people miss this with President Trump as well. Look, wealth can be... Money itself, having money is not wicked. It's how you use it. It's your motive. It's how you got it and what you do with it. Uh, you know, being poor can be equally evil if you're continually envious or stealing. You know, so I think uh, get, gaining money in the right way is just a badge of honor. And then further, to be willing uh, to not just sit on your laurels, enjoy your wealth, but to go back and put yourself in a situation like you're in and also like President Trump did. 
Uh, these, you guys are the American heroes. Like our founding fathers did this. They pledged their lives and their fortunes. They were men of, of wealth in their days. Not all of them, but many of them were. And they, they laid it on the line. And I really view what, what you're doing and what President Trump uh, did as well as in that category. So I just wanted to, <laughs> I didn't want to get bogged down on that, but I guess I did. Uh, now they're saying that you're in a, in a tough race. Well, why would that be? Why are you in such a tough race? Because Wisconsin will always be tough. We're, we're a very divided state. Now, here's the facts on a, on a macro basis. The number one vote getter statewide for any, any politician was President Obama got 1,680,000 votes. I used to be the, the former record holder. I got 1,480,000 votes. 200,000 votes less than President Obama, the record holder. So I always was concerned, you know, if it, if it, uh, if they're energized and we're energized, you know, Republicans lose because they just have a couple hundred thousand vote advantage until 2020. After the 2018 election, which was very close, Scott Walker lost it. Uh, we, we did a kind of a postmortem on that, Ryan's previous and I. And one of the things I noticed is uh, we allowed 30 Assembly Democrats to run unopposed. And so, you know, I, I initiated a process I called trickle-up elections. I wanted to make sure we could get Republicans on every line in the ballot. And we did a much better job in 2020. Uh, we had 92 uh, Assembly Republican candidates. So, so we only let eight, no, seven Democrats run unopposed. And the results were astounding. We, we got 180,000 more votes than my record. We were just shy of President Obama's record. So again, we're, we're a very evenly divided state. And I think if Republicans have uh, candidates on every line in the ballot, uh, if we're energized, uh, we're going to have a really, really good shot at uh, any election, but it's always going to be tough. It's always going to be close. You've probably got about 47% that lean pretty pretty strongly Democrat. you got 47 that lean pretty strongly Republican. And Wisconsin elections are always fighting for that 6% in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but you have great help. You know, Terry Dietrich uh, is a good friend, and he's become a good friend. I know he's, he's the, uh, you know, I don't need to tell you, he's the Republican chair in Waukesha County. Are you from Waukesha County? No, I'm from uh, Winnebago County, but uh, Terry's done a great job uh, in terms of trickle-up elections. They, they went out and they recruited and they supported candidates to help flip, uh, you know, different school board seats and county board seats. And we did that across Wisconsin. Uh, in the spring elections, we had over 800 uh, new candidates, uh, which was pretty, pretty amazing. All right. So one of the things, uh, let's go now to the issues of the race, because they are actually interesting to everyone, and that is, when the Supreme Court uh, overturned Roe versus Wade about a month ago, uh, I guess my understanding is that it caused, caused quite a brouhaha in Wisconsin because that means that you resort to a bill, a law that was passed on abortion back in 18, whatever, 18, 1849 uh, that uh, prohibits abortions and provides no exceptions for rape or incest. There are exceptions granted to save a woman's life but only after the signature of three doctors. So is that accurate? That's a CNN report, and they say that now the fallback position until Wisconsin Assembly does something is that, the law of 1849. Is that true? Yes, that is true. All right, so as a result of that, so how would you describe the response of the people of Wisconsin to that, uh, that new reality? Well, I think the main election issue in Wisconsin is inflation and high gas prices. Uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel actually wrote a pretty good article on this. I was kind of amazed. Uh, but they just laid out the, the facts on abortion in Wisconsin. I think, over, you know, I can't remember the exact time period, but over the last couple of decades, the 
the largest number of abortions probably peaked at about 17,000. The last couple of years has been between six and 7,000. So if you, if you take a look at a population of about 5.8 million people, uh, again, I'm not under understating you know, how significant an issue that is for those six or 7,000 people, but it's affecting six or 7,000 people out of a population of 5.8 million. Abortions are still legal in, in Illinois. Uh, we only had a couple abortion clinics in Wisconsin to begin with. So, you know, I, I don't I don't think from a election standpoint, it, it's going to be that big an issue. You take a look at public opinion polls. Uh, it's not going to be. Now, Democrats want to turn it into a big issue because they can't they can't defend open borders and 40 year high inflation, record gasoline prices, rising crime. You know, we're 25 percent uh, over last year in terms of a record year of murders in Milwaukee, for example, you know, mm-hmm. low bail no bail policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that you know, we're in America in the year 2022, we don't have enough baby formula for our infants. I mean, they can't talk about that. So what they're going to do, and that they've already begun their multi-million dollar uh, campaign to smear their opponents with a bunch of lies as it relates to abortion. You know, they're going to go out there and say that, you know, Republicans want to put women in jail. No, we don't. Okay, I, I don't know any Republican that wants to penalize any woman with an unplanned pregnancy. We have nothing but sympathy and compassion for women with unplanned pregnancies. Uh, so, you know, we want to ban uh, fertility treatments. I, I certainly don't. My, my daughter had a serious heart defect, uh, couldn't bear children, but we have two wonderful grandchildren through uh, surrogacy. And so obviously I completely support in vitro fertilization. Uh, my wife and I, we use contraceptions to plan our family. I completely support it. That's the best way to reduce abortion. So all these lies, they will be, you know, they'll put millions of dollars behind these lies because they want to turn abortion into, they want to keep it a divisive political issue. I think the beauty of overturning Roe v. Wade is we delayed the discussion on this profound moral issue, as Judge Alito's termed it. We delayed that discussion for 50 years. I was hoping... We could move forward now with a very sympathetic, very compassionate discussion, debate on this issue that takes into the account the, the full range of people's beliefs on this and allow the democratic process to, to decide this, answer this question. At what point yeah. does society have the responsibility to protect life? And that will be decided in 50 states. That's the way it should, should be done. Yeah. And hopefully without a whole lot of acrimony. All right. Our, our guest is Senator Ron Johnson, and he's in a tight fight uh, to go back to the Senate. And you can hear by his own words why he needs to be back in that Senate. We'll return in a minute. I want to talk about some of the issues that are happening in the Senate. We also want to touch uh, on that uh, whole business of inflation and the economy in Wisconsin and how it's affecting this election. Be right back. Be right back. They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system 
that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. When a wicked man rules, people groan. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. While campaigning for the presidency in 2019, reporter Peter Ducey asked Mr. Biden if he'd ever spoken with his son, Hunter Biden, concerning his overseas business dealings. The elder Biden said, no, never. Well, we now know that is an absolute lie. We have recorded voicemail evidence that Mr. J. Robinette Biden called Hunter Biden because he read a New York Times story about Hunter's business dealings in China, in which he said, I think you're in the clear. Clear from what, Joe? We may very well have a real Manchurian candidate in office beholden to the communist Chinese government. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. If you haven't switched to MediShare yet, two big reasons to at least consider it and why it makes so much sense right now. Number one's inflation, which is just affecting everything. And it makes sense to say, okay, where can I actually save? Well, you could save a lot in one fell swoop if you switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month. Secondly, your conscience. MediShare members aren't forced to pay for things they don't support or believe in. And that's a big deal for a lot of people right now. They want their money to actually help people. And one more reason, you can trust MediShare. It's been the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works and members love it too. It has double the customer satisfaction rating compared to health insurance. So now's a great time to consider making the switch and they're very easy to talk to. MediShare has great customer service. You can even get a price within two minutes. Here's the number. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Joe Biden said yesterday that he has cancer. The White House responded that what he meant to say was that he had skin cancer in the past. Neither is acknowledging that the president appears today to have rapidly accelerating and debilitating dementia. We cannot safely navigate the growing dangers worldwide with our present leadership and its policies. We must move now to put a new competent and patriotic team in place that will actually protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies foreign and domestic. The prospect of the seriously inadequate Kamala Harris becoming president necessitates the appointment and confirmation ASAP of a new nonpartisan vice president. The Times required that it be someone with a robust national security background who will promise not to run in 2024 and, ideally, a highly accomplished and regarded senior retired military officer like General Jack Keane. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. And because it was a four-lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us, and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so many other people I grew up have cancer. 
and why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. So that was uh, your president, Joe Biden, in Massachusetts yesterday while he was declaring that climate change is a code red for humanity, that it is an existential threat, that it's a clear and present danger. And he's insisting that he's going to do some executive orders to fix all of that, to make it not so hot, you know, to to take, he's going to fix everything. He has incredible powers that we never knew about. He's also had every disease known to man uh, because last April he told us he had asthma and the same, same story about his mother driving that he told us he had asthma. He's had everything, it seems. But the point here is that President Joe Biden is on the precipice, as I understand it, of declaring a national emergency over climate change. And I think this is just inching toward that. Senator Ron Johnson is our guest this morning. And uh, among other things, I want to talk to him about that. Senator Johnson, there's really nothing. If he declares an emergency, what do you see as the danger of that? Or are you concerned about it? Well, I'm concerned about uh, the expansion of presidential authority, uh, the lawlessness of uh you know, not only this administration, but also the Obama administration using executive orders. Um, that should concern every American. Unfortunately, uh, Congress has oftentimes willingly turned over its constitutional authority over to the executive branch, I think, to avoid accountability. You know, they, we, you know, we don't pass prescriptive laws anymore. It doesn't seem like we pass these thousands of pages of bills, but it's basically frameworks. It's got a nice name like Patient Protection Affordable Care Act does neither of those things but just vest all the power in the executive branch to uh, you know, come up with rules and regulations and guidances. Uh, classic examples of what's happening on the border. You know, we've ceded so much of our authority over uh, securing our border to the executive branch. I mean, they set uh, the limits on, on immigration and, you know, they come up with, uh, you know, all kinds of pronouncements to completely open up our border and it's, it's a disaster. So, yeah, I, I think Americans should be concerned about the growing power of the executive branch and the lack of accountability, uh, quite honestly, of Congress. Yes, and I think to make it practical to people's ears, I think we're talking about here out of the Biden White House is uh, an attack, more of a word, doubling down on fossil fuels, uh, the exploration for gas, the manufacture of it, the making it available, uh, spending tons of money uh, for electric and wind power and all of that, which we know is just a, a half measure. We'll never never, ever be able to supply the the energy needs of any uh, uh, first world country. But it's affecting also, as I don't need to tell you, the businessman, uh, inflation has just gone rampant. I understand in Wisconsin, it's uh, it really hit early. So say something about the economic situation and, and how you see that affecting uh, the climate change rules that he's purporting to get ready to make. You know, people need to understand that 80% of the, you know, energy that powers our economy is provided by fossil fuels, and that's not going to change anytime soon. We, you know, renewable energy just isn't up to snuff. Now, if you convert to nuclear, uh, that would probably be helpful uh, and could replace fossil fuels, but solar and wind just can't. You need backup. So uh, if you continue to go down this path, you're going to continue to increase energy prices, you know, Joe Biden isn't just unlucky. I mean, he caused record gasoline prices with his war on fossil fuels. And so you take a look at what's caused inflation. It's that. It starts with that. Uh, Drive up energy prices. That's going to contribute to inflation. But then massive deficit spending, the $1.9 trillion partisan COVID relief package, $700 billion wasn't even going to be spent to the out years. 
Uh, that creates the dollars, too many dollars, chasing even fewer goods because a lot of those dollars are spent making it possible for people to stay out of the workforce. So in Wisconsin, manufacturers can't fill up their shifts, so they can't meet demand for their products, so even fewer products. So I call that the triple whammy. Record gasoline prices, high energy prices, uh, deficit spending, creating too many dollars, chasing fewer goods. And so now you end up with 9.1% inflation impacting all of us. I mean, inflation is a tax on everybody, but it's a particularly regressive tax, really hurting seniors on, on the fixed income, people at the lower end of the uh, income spectrum. Jeff Bezos is not particularly troubled by inflation. Uh, he's getting by just fine with all the shutdowns because of COVID and all that type of thing. So you know, people need to realize Democrat Party has now become the party of the elite. Uh, you know, news media will never admit that, but it's Republicans that are now defending the middle class and you know the working men and women of, of America, the, the brave, brave men and women in law enforcement, customs, border patrol. I mean, it's Republicans that are standing up for those folks. Democrats are just concerned about the elite and their fantasy. And, and green energy is a fantasy. Now, I don't deny climate change. I'm just not a climate change alarmist. We, we just can't afford to spend hundreds of billions of dollars trying to hold back the tides. We, we, we're not capable of it. Um, it's, it's so this, what, but what we're seeing in Sri Lanka, we're, we see where yes. they, they actually have imposed this. Argentina, where they've actually imposed this green energy fantasy, is collapsing their economies. And starving people. I, I think, too, I, I, we have to make it just really practical. Uh, people are going to go hungry in this country for the first time since the probably the Dust Bowl of the 30s. I think we face a very real possibility of people actually being hungry. And that's what's happened in Sri Lanka and all those other countries you just described. They're not using fertilizer on their crops, so they can't grow them. So there's a hunger shortage. I just saw an interview with, uh, uh, I think it was a leader of Poland. It's one of those Eastern Bloc countries. And he was talking about the influx of refugees, especially because uh, they're hungry. Uh, fertilizer is not has been banned in many of their farm much of their farmland and they can't find money so they're, they're amassing in these other countries and it's just causing it's just really do you know it just seems to me senator that the whole world order is just being stirred like a big pot someone is just delighting in the chaos and the destruction and it's everywhere it's just everywhere I, i'm curious about something i talked to uh, a, a waitress in a restaurant uh, last week and she said to my husband and I that there were more more checks coming out, COVID checks. That was something I didn't know. Are there more checks? Has the, has the Senate and the House and the President signed off on more money for people not to work? Well, you know, there's no new piece of legislation. The $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, again, there, there's some long-term spending involved in that. So that she may be talking about you know, some of the benefits from that $1.9 trillion a deficit spending package there. Um, but it's one of the reasons we have to take back control of the House and the Senate is to stop uh, this massive deficit spending agenda of President Biden. But you're right. Uh, it is incredibly destabilizing. Uh, you, will, you will see starvation in some areas of the world, in Africa. That will cause all kinds of instability. It will cause a migration flow, which destabilizes what would otherwise be stable countries. You know, I, I, we may face hunger in America. I, I don't think starvation, but incredibly high food prices. Again, it will continue to fuel inflation, which once again hurts retirees on a fixed income, people at the lower in, end of the income uh, spectrum. So it's, it's incredibly destructive. 
leftist, you know, leftist, radical leftist always is destabilizing. That's, that's what drives me nuts about people that you know, declare themselves socialists or want to convert an economy to socialism. It doesn't work. I mean, you, you know, we don't have to theorize about that. It doesn't work. Soviet Union, Cuba, Venezuela, you can just see it. what it results in is totalitarian regimes. The death of tens of millions of people is what socialism and communism has resulted. Why would anybody want to put us on that path? But that's exactly the path that the radical leftists who are in firm control of the Democratic Party have us on now. The Democrat Party is not the Democrat Party of our parents and grandparents. So John F. Kennedy probably would have been the, one of the more conservative senators in the Republican conference today. The Democrat Party now is comprised of radical leftists. They are enabled by the radical leftists in our media and big tech social media giants. So they, con- they control the message. Um, and they're, they're putting our nation, they've put our nation on a path of destruction. And that's, that's why people are so concerned on our side of the aisle. Uh, they realize America's at a hinge point. People, as Mark Levin wrote in his book, must awaken to the urgency of the moment. This is an urgent moment in world history and U.S. history. We've got to take us off this disastrous path. Absolutely. And that's exactly why I'm talking to you about your election and why I'm really concentrating on that. that actually, this primary is, to me, uh, maybe the last free election we have, and I hope that it is free. Uh, but we and, and the reason I mentioned starvation, I go to that card, is because we are seeing what's happening in those other countries. And we do know that if uh, if the left takes over and has their way, which they've look at the destruction they've done in the two years of Biden's presidency. I just don't doubt at all that they would destroy our ability to grow uh, food as well here. They'd be happy to do that. But I want to talk to you about something else, because I'm really concerned about the military senator. Uh, and I'll just talk about this one area. Um I know the National Defense Authorization Bill comes up every year, and every year is controversial because uh, Republicans want to fund the military, but then the Democrats love to put in a lot of horrible social experimentation things, and that's been a, a cycle for as long as I can remember. But right now, I'm concerned about this COVID issue because, I, as I understand it, there are 260,000 members of the military who have not been vaccinated. That's 13%. Recruitment level is at half. They wanted to recruit 60,000 in the Army, I think, uh, and they've only reached 30,000. They're desperate for people, and they're getting ready to, you know, release uh, 13% of the military. And here's the thing I don't understand. I don't understand this. I cannot, even though I call, I interview, I do all to get people in Congress, in the Senate and the House, to fight for our military members on the issue of forcing these vaccines, which now we know are less effective. I think they're now 5% effective. I say right now we have a we have a pandemic of the vaccinated because it's the vaccinated that are getting COVID. Why is no one stepping forward to, to defend our troops on this particular issue? Well, I, I know a lot of Republicans have called for an end of the mandate, but, but I've been a pretty lonely voice just pushing back on our COVID response in general. I think partly is, you know, so many people, they voted for, uh, you know, all the response. Uh, they're, they're pretty proud of the Operation Warp Speed, and I was supportive of it, but I was way more cautious in terms of the, the vaccination campaign. I think we always should have just allowed those that were vulnerable to, uh, you know, use basically right to try to, to avail themselves of that uh, experimental treatment, but certainly should have not have imposed it on anybody. Now, certainly, when we know that it doesn't prevent infection or transmission. Uh, there are concerns about the, the vaccination program actually driving the variants. Uh, people, you know, negative, negative efficacy 
for the vaccines. I mean, people are talking about that. But our public health officials, the, the people, the DOD, I mean, they're not responding to, to my request on what happened with the DMED system, the database that they're showing oh, yes. tenfold increase in neurological issues, you know, threefold increase on certain uh, cancers, uh, myocarditis. I mean, we're just not getting answers on it. This has been since January, this issue is raised. We still don't have a decent response. So, no, I'm, I'm highly concerned. But, you know, my concern is, I think so many of my colleagues, uh, they were all in on the vaccines and the basic human tendency, people don't want to admit they're wrong. Yeah. I think that's, you know, whether it's the media, whether it's the federal health agencies, whether it's the medical establishment, they were all in on, on the vaccine as the way to end the pandemic, as opposed to what I was pushing was early treatment with the cornucopia of early treatment or generic drugs. Um, so again, it's, it's people just will not admit they're wrong. And, you know, the body counted a million plus, uh, and let's face it, adverse, the, the, the Bayer system, over 29,000 deaths worldwide, yes. 1.3 million adverse events. Uh, they just they just can't afford to be proven wrong. And, they, and, and here's the problem, Sandy, is they have the power. I mean, look, look at who we're talking about here, the, the administration, the health agencies, big pharma, the mainstream media, big tech social media giants. That's the COVID cartel. They have the power to make it almost impossible to prove them wrong. And so, you know, my colleagues recognize what they're up against and just kind of I mean, they also see how I'm how they're trying to destroy me for just trying to get the truth out there. Right. That is a yes. They're hitting you on this in Wisconsin in this race. It's just amazing. And I, I think you are making the point that I often make that D.C. is a world apart. In all my years in D.C., it's like there's a there's like there really are two separate Americas, as the pre famous presidential candidate said a few years ago. But it's really I think people in D.C. in that vortex of media and power and the rest of the people in this country. And it's a it's a war for truth. And, and for someone like you to actually be able to maintain your sense of truth and reality and stay in that environment is amazing. A last word from you very quickly, Senator. Um, got 15 seconds. Ron Johnson for Senate.com. They've already spent $46 million against me. I need help. Ron Johnson for Senate.com if you want to save the Senate all right. Senator Johnson, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for so much of your time, and God bless and keep you and your family strong and well, and I hope to see you soon. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.